Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. So great to have you with us this morning, whether you're in the room, our friends joining us online, and those that will listen on the radio this week. It's a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. And we've been in this series called High Wire where we're talking about trusting God. Now, for the most part, we know that this is a super helpful thing to do, but it's not always that easy. And we've been walking through a brief overview of the family of Isaac in the book of Genesis to kind of practice this and try to figure out how to apply it from some of the stories in his family's life. And in week one, we talked about trusting God in the waiting. Anybody else not enjoy waiting? (laughs) Week two... We talked about trusting God with our disappointments. And man, we've all been there, right? We've all had some disappointments in our life. And last week, we three, we talked about trusting God with our sins and our struggles. And that's such good news because we all got them. And last week, we're talking about Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, and all that transpired in their relationship. And it was a lot, and there is a lot, and it got really messy. And the thing is, is, is uh, some of us have experienced messy before, but this is like brother wanting to kill his own brother messy, and not figuratively, but literally. Relationships can be amazing, but they can also be really hard, and that's why scripture speaks to relationships so much. And sometimes, even with our best effort, things can still get really messy. But we see an incredible picture of God's redemptive plan play out in the story of Jacob and Esau, And Jacob did Esau wrong, and Esau's upset about it, justifiably so, he should be. And Jacob is now afraid for his life, and Esau's overwhelmed by what he lost. The thing is, though, is this part of the story ends differently than actually anticipated. We're going to jump to the finale of this season of Jacob and Esau's life, and then we're going to backtrack to see how we got there. Genesis 33, beginning in verse number 1. And Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. How many of you know 400 men behind your dude's not a good thing, right? Like, this is not good. So Jacob, he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants, and he put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead, and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. And Jacob and Esau did not end this fight to the death the way that it kind of was building up to for this last scene. They ended it with a tears-filled embrace. It's a beautiful picture of redemption and reconciliation. We see the healing power of God in a relationship that honestly seemed broken beyond repair. And we see grace on display. Jacob, he didn't get what he deserved. He got something much better. And we see incredible amounts of humility here, mainly on Esau's part, but even for Jacob to bow down before his brother, maybe out of fear, probably out of fear as we read in this text, but he was a prideful man. So there seems to be some signs of life change somewhere around this intersection in his life. But the question is, How did they get here? Well, first off, 
We serve a God that frequently leans into impossible situations. The question is, will we trust him with the process of getting us there, wherever there is? And that's our big idea for today, the dare to trust God for restoration. We talked about trusting God in the waiting, trusting God with our disappointments, trusting God with our sins and struggles, but will we trust him for restoration? So we're gonna look at how Jacob and Esau got here. And their story, which is true for all of us, we see this, number one, that restoration begins with God, like this is his deal. Genesis 32, backing up to earlier in this season in verse one, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So here's the thing, in Jacob's story, God sent angels to interact with him, and angels are messengers from God. And we see several places in the Bible where that's how they're referred, as messengers from God. And here's the thing, is that God can use angels, God can also use other people and situations, and even moments, to send us a message, to be a messenger from God to us. The question is, are we receptive to that? Are we paying attention? Are we still long enough to hear or see it? The thing that is tough is that when we find ourselves dealing with a broken relationship, and here it's a brother to brother, but it could be other relationships that you have, we have a desire. If we have a desire for there to be reconciliation and for us to come back together and get healing, sometimes we will do everything we can to try to fix it. But here's the thing. The order here matters. Sometimes God will intervene like he did in this story with Jacob and Esau, but other times he wants us to trust him by taking a first step. But that first step needs to be focused on Jesus first. The order matters. Why? Because God knows what we need better than we do. He knows what we need better than we do. Scripture reminds us of that in Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he knows a thing or two about restoration, reconciliation, and redemption. He's been doing this thing for a long time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read this here. And I, this is such a powerful visual representation of what God is always trying to work out in us and through us. Beginning in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Thank God for that. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. Again, this is God's idea. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are now representing him. We are Christ's messengers, if you will, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is where the Apostle Paul drops the mic and walks off the stage. Such a powerful thought of who God is and what he's all about. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what matters to him. 
He wants to be in relationship with us, and he wants that relationship with us to be whole. We should dare to trust God with restoration, but it needs to begin with God first because this is his idea. And I have conversations similar to the one I had with a friend this week, and we were talking about some situations that they're walking through right now. And at one point, the conversation took a turn, and one of the things that they shared was that, well, maybe we're going through this because of some decisions that I've made, and God's actually mad at me. And I just wanna say this to you. God's not mad at you, he misses you. He understands where we're at in this chain of getting things right. But that's the whole reason why Jesus came. Number two, restoration must be intentional. Genesis 32, we jump back into the scene again in verse three. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he instructed them, This is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. And I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. He's trying to lean in here to his brother. I had a counselor tell me years ago that no healing comes without intentional steps. And some may say, well, yeah, but God showed up in my life in this situation and I didn't do anything, he took an intentional step towards you. The cross was a massive intentional step. Zig Ziglar used to say this, that if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. It may have been because Jacob was scared for his life, but he made a move here. We see him make a move. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22, it says, have faith in God, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And sometimes the situation in front of us, or the broken relationship in front of us, is the mountain that we need God to move. But sometimes the mountain that needs to move is me. Sometimes it's us. God can do whatever he wants, but the majority of the time, we're not just going to go to sleep and wake up one day and all of our fractured relationships and situations are fixed. Psalm 103, 12 is an incredible reminder for us with the way that God deals with us, especially when it comes to sin and forgiveness and grace. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. I love the old hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. But here's the thing. God works the way God works, but we don't always work like that. We don't always wash away people's sins against us. We don't always forget as far as the east is from the west. The cross was an intentional step towards reconciliation. That Jesus, who wasn't even the one that broke the relationship made the bridge for us to come to him. How much more for us to be reconciled to our brother and our sister? We don't get there without intentional steps. Number three, restoration needs to be prayed about. Genesis 32, beginning in verse nine. And Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, O God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper I love this, though. He's starting to recognize this where him and God actually are. I am unworthy of all of the kindness and the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. 
I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And here's the thing about when Jacob's praying this. There's a lot of great things about this prayer, which we're going to talk about in a second. But he's actually kind of praying selfishly. God, will you save me for messing up? Will you save me for hurting my brother? Will you save me, God? He, He didn't even acknowledge that part of it. But that's the beautiful thing about God and us praying and communicating with him. We don't have to say the right things. He's just glad that we're talking to him. He'll work all those other things out. But we see that happening here in Jacob. And there's a little bit of a change in his spirit and the way that he starts to operate. He prays nonetheless, even though he's in the midst of the situation. But in this prayer, we see him seeking God. He acknowledges God's goodness. God, I know you've been faithful to me and I don't deserve it. He recalls God's words over him. And then he asks for God to move in the situation. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And in Luke 18, Jesus shares this parable about this persistent widow. And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Sometimes we give up right before we experience a breakthrough in our lives And when we pray by faith, we're surrendering our situation into God's hands. We're making an exchange. And God is good at what he does. But prayer changes things. And sometimes prayer changes our situation. But most of the time, it changes us. God wants us to seek him. And we can't just think about it. We need to direct our thoughts and our desires towards the one that can help us and actually pray about it. Restoration begins with God. Restoration must be intentional. It needs to be prayed about and last, but certainly not least. Restoration is a process that changes us. And in the middle of the story and this conflict with Jacob and Esau that's gone on for years, there's this spinoff episode, if you will, where Jacob gets into a wrestling match. Now, I'm not very surprised about the fact that he got into a conflict with somebody else because he seems to do that quite a bit in his story, and he has all these interesting confrontations, but this is a really interesting thing. Even as he's preparing for what he believes is going to be an attack from his brother, and I love this story, and I really believe that God, and I was sharing this with somebody after the first service, I used to take this story and read it as its own thing and never realized or paid attention to the fact that it was in the middle of a conflict. Jacob is having a conflict in the middle of a conflict with somebody else. And I love how God put this story in this place, and I believe for a reason. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and I think God intentionally wrote this into the scene in his life, this wrestling match in the middle of this situation, because it changes Jacob, for one, but it also shows us that in real life, we don't always just have one issue, right? Sometimes we don't always just have one conflict. There's other things going on. So let's go ahead and read this chapter here. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok River. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, and and now Jacob was left alone, and the sentence isn't even over with. 
He's left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob answered that. And then he said, well, it's not gonna be Jacob anymore, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called that place uh, Peniel, saying, it is because I saw, God's face to, saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And most Bibles label this story as Jacob wrestling with God. And some Bible scholars believe that he was actually wrestling with an angel and some even with Jesus. What we know is that this was probably a divine, heavenly wrestling match. And realistically, with that being a part of it, Jacob didn't get all his opponent could bring to the table. And I was trying to picture that they're in the middle of a wrestling match and he just reaches his finger over and just touches his hip and Messes it up. <laughs> like, whoa, when you should have start, started with that move. But the ending, the ending of this is really interesting to me. Well, one, he changes Jacob's name. And we see this uh, several places throughout Scripture, kind of signifying this is going to be the beginning of a new season in his life. And then also, he says this, he said, you struggle with God and humans. Some scholars believe that that actually kind of hints to that, that it wasn't a human that was wrestling him. Not a lot of people call other humans humans. Our nine-year-old does sometimes, so refer to there's a human at the door, but not, a lot of people don't do that. But here's, here's the thing that's always stuck with me. He touched Jacob's hip. And after this encounter with God, whoever he was wrestling with, Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Because restoration is a process that changes us. And a long time ago, a Christian songwriter wrote a lot of country hits and a lot of Christian hits. I didn't know the two could go together, but they do apparently. Um, he came to our church when I was a teenager. And uh, he's an amazing guy. And he preached a couple of uh, weekends for us, and I remember him preaching a message specifically about Jacob's wrestling match, and he said something, I think I was 15 or 16, he said something that I have not forgotten. He said, never trust someone without a limp. Never trust someone that hasn't been somewhere with God, wrestled with God, come out on the other side of a situation. You see, some of y'all are ashamed of what you've gone through. And whether it be in the waiting or the disappointments in your life or the sins and struggles we've talked about the last couple of weeks, God can bring purpose from your pain. He doesn't waste stuff. He can use your mess to be a message of hope and testimony for someone else in the struggle because nothing's wasted with the Lord. And restoration is a process that changes us. And I, I just imagine as Jacob, I mean, he's been wrestling this joker all night long and now his brother's coming Hundreds of men in tow. He's been preparing to die, essentially. This is going to be it. This is my final chapter. And I can imagine as he sees his brother coming, as we started this message, what does Jacob do? 
he bows down. And can you imagine as he's bowing down and just starting to move that he feels pain in his hip that reminded him of what just happened. It's interesting whenever I'm reading about or hearing about a story of restoration or reconciliation because I see the hope in all of that and I see the joy in all of that. And the thing is, is I am a positive person. Like when it's raining, people are like, man, it's raining. I'm like, thank God that we could alive enough to feel the rain. Like I could turn any of those things into a positive thing. I'm a glass half full guy. I'm just glad to have a glass at all. Like I might not have anything to drink in it, but I'm going to find something because uh, I'm good at doing that. And as long as I have a glass, I feel good. I'm positive in that way. But on occasion, I take a glimpse into the rearview mirror of my life. And I remember the pain of relationships and situations where I did not experience a Hallmark movie ending. And for some of you, this was a relationship with a parent or a relationship with a child or a relationship with a sibling or a relationship with a friend. And the biggest one in my own story is a previous divorce that I had to walk through. And I didn't choose that path, but I couldn't stop it. So this pastor doesn't stand up here on this stage as having this whole thing figured out and you not. But I stand up here by the grace of God and I get to proclaim God's word over us because I can't preach what I don't live. And I don't just believe in Jesus and I don't just talk about Jesus because this is my job. He has met me in the deepest valleys of my life and picked my big tail back up off the ground and helped me start over again. He has met me at those intersections and there have been times where I don't walk with a limp, but emotionally and spiritually I do. I've wrestled with God some in my life. I've been doing pre-marriage counseling with five different couples over the last couple of months and at one point I wondered if I would ever be able to preach a wedding again. And I thought that the scarlet letter of divorce even though it wasn't my choice, disqualified me from walking out God's calling on my life. But the truth is, it's actually given me more compassion and empathy to walk with people that are hurting because my footprints are not among the perfect or the unscathed, but very clearly visible among the broken. And I don't need to know the details of the pain in your life to know that it's real because I've had my own. But I can tell you this without hesitation. We serve a God that restores. We serve a God where there is nothing or no one that is too far gone for him to bring change and hope into their life. And the scripture reminds us of this, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we, all of us who were once dead in our trespasses and sin, he, Jesus, made us alive. And by grace, we have been saved. And you don't have to dress up to come to the party in heaven but you do need to accept the bloodstained invitation that Jesus paid for on Calvary's cross. We all need that. When I was pastoring my church and myself walking through a divorce, a friend and a mentor that I mentioned on occasion, Dr. Les Harden, the professor of New Testament at Johnson University, Florida, he shared something with me and I felt like it was so significant. God brought it back to memory as I was preparing and praying this week to finish my notes that I wanted us to put it on the screen, not just to hear the words, but that you could read them too, because we all process things differently. And he shared this with me when I was in the middle of that valley. And he said, God's vindication 
is not him putting things back the way they were. It means he puts things back to right. And there are some of you that are on the other side of some situations and maybe you question, God, where were you in this? You know, back in that season of my life, I was praying for a miracle and I didn't get the answer to that miracle, but I did get a miracle. God sustained me and God restored me and God was there. And the scripture reminds us he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. And God is always at those places with us. And restoration may look differently than we hoped for in that moment, but he always puts things back to right. And to really grab a hold of the truth in that, we gotta remember that this place is not our home. Heaven and being in God's presence. It's not about this. This is a temporary pass through. There are some things that won't be back to right until we're with Jesus. But this is what he does. With our big idea being daring to trust God for restoration, you need to know, we need to know, I need to know that God can restore us. He can restore our relationships with each other. But when that doesn't happen, he can still restore you. God can restore us with him. God can restore us with each other. But even when that does not happen, because we can be a Jacob bowing down, but we can't control Esau and his vengeance, and his pain coming after us. And we can be an Esau and eat incredible amounts of humble pie, but we can't control the response of the Jacobs in our life that have hurt us and taken advantage of us. Restoration begins with God. It must be intentional, needs to be prayed about, and restoration is a process that changes us. And I never would have chosen the path that I had to walk to get here, but now I wouldn't change it. And now I can even look back with tremendous amounts of appreciation and grace because of all that that season of my life did for me. But God's vindication is not him putting things back the way they were. It means he puts things back to right. I don't glory in my divorce. And when I've shared about it, I don't glory in my infertility. But through God's restoration, he has given me a wife that loves me, that I can love and share my life with. And he's given me the kid in our house that I can invest the rest of my life into. And he's given me a community of faith that I can walk with. And he's given me kids in Kenya that I can advocate and fight for because he puts things back to right. Listen to this passage of scripture. I've, I've probably given this to hundreds of people because this truth spoke to me in my deepest valley. First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God loves you ridiculously. And he's not mad at you. He misses you. And God can restore us. But God can also restore you. The question is, will you let him? Will you trust him? That's what this whole series has been about. Because the beautiful thing about him 
He's ready when you are. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau. We thank you for this heaven-sanctioned wrestling match. God, every person in this room has had or will have a relationship that needs to be restored. We will have situations that we have a hard time reconciling with our faith, but you are the God of reconciliation and restoration and redemption. And so God, for those that are in that place where they have a relationship, God, that they are trying to trust you with, God, I pray for grace and mercy and perseverance and strength that can only come from heaven. God, that we would understand that we get to love because you first loved us. We can forgive because you forgave us. Sometimes the person we need to forgive is us. Sometimes it's the other person, but a lot of times it's us too. So God, help us to trust you with that. Let you take the lead. And God, for those that may have a situation, a relationship where restoration is, we're past that part because we can't control the other person or we can't control time. We don't get to go back. God, I pray for healing in Jesus' name. God, I pray for you to pour back into them. And God, that even though that situation or that relationship may be beyond that point, we are not beyond that point. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us. And again, God, I pray for grace and mercy and strength and healing. In Jesus' name. pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.